All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, get them out. Open them up to uh, Luke 17. Hey, this is Thanksgiving week. Do you guys happy about that? I am happy about Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. I get to hang out with uh, family, friends, and I get to eat food, and I like doing that. So uh, I am looking forward to this week. So this week, uh, we're going to be taking a break from Genesis, and we're going to jump into Luke chapter 17, and we're going to just talk about getting to the root of thankfulness. And we are going to meet 10 people in our passage this week, plus Jesus. We're going to meet Jesus too, but there's 10 people that God does an amazing, unbelievable thing for. And I'm sure that all of them were thankful, but only one was rightly thankful. And so that's what we're going to think about. We want to be the people that are rightly thankful. So uh, what makes you thankful? Like when you think about things that make you happy, uh, things that make you thankful, good things in your life, you know, for me, I just I think about my family. I wake up, I look around at my family. I'm so thankful for my family. I I get up sometimes and I walk around my house and I just can't believe I live there. And it just is so nice to live there. Like when I drive to church, it's unbelievable the cars that I get to drive in. And I mean, it just is unbelievable how good God has been. I think about being at Foothills Church. One of the things that we that our family is super thankful for is just being here and seeing the good things that God is doing in people's lives. And uh, I just think about all the good things that are happening, but when I think about what, what is coming for Foothills Church, there is just so many good things on the horizon and so many good things for families in our church. And I'll tell you what, that just I am just so thankful for those things that I see. And that definitely does not mean that life is without difficulty, right? <laughs> Because uh, life is, has huge challenges, and, and what is amazing is that often God does some of His greatest blessings. He pours out His greatest blessings in the midst of gr the greatest tragedies that you're facing. And that's actually one of the things that we're going to see in our passage is that you have these people, we're going to meet 10 lepers, and their life is terrible. There are horrible things happening in their life. And um, in fact, it would be hard to imagine anything worse. And yet that is where God is going to do a great miracle. And that is true for all of us as believers, is that God takes these terrible situations that we're in, and, and often that is the place of our greatest blessing. So when we think about thankfulness um, as a quality, when we think about thankfulness, uh, any of you guys ever heard of a guy named Dennis Prager? So Dennis Prager's a guy who talks about a lot of stuff, and, and it's, it's amazing to me, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that are not Christians. Dennis Prager is not a Christian, and, um, and it's interesting how you can hear things that people say, and you go, man, that is really good, and you can really agree with it. And, um, and, and I really like what he has to say about Thanksgiving, because I think it is a perfect example of how people can, can take moral qualities and actually miss the point. So uh, I want to just read something that he says, and I want you to think about this, because as you think about this statement, you're going you're gonna to go, hmm, yeah, you know, actually, I think I see that, but let me read it. He says, the greatest of the traits is gratitude. Gratitude is the foundation of both goodness and happiness. You cannot be a good person if you are not grateful, and you cannot be a happy person if you are not grateful. Is that true? That if you're not grateful, you can't be good, and if you're not grateful, you cannot be happy. He says, or to put it in the negative, there was no ungrateful person who was happy, and there was no ungrateful person that was good. And, uh, and, and he kind of just thinks and talks about how we're raising a generation of entitled people that are not grateful and not thankful for anything, and just how terrible that is. Uh, he, he says this, he says, um, my deep worry about America at this time is that young people are being taught to be ungrateful. Now, I think there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of power. I mean, that is a true thing. In fact, the Bible says Christians need to be grateful and Christians need to be thankful. But I want to tell you what is missing from this. 
This is a generic sense of thankfulness and gratefulness. That's the non-Christian worldview of gratefulness and thankfulness. Being a good person. Thinking that if you're grateful and thankful, that makes you good. Um, By the way, Christians should be thankful. And that is something that rightly flows out of a right relationship with God. But Christians are not good because of anything they do. And people, you can be grateful. You can be a very thankful person. That does not make you good. Every person is a sinner, and it is the righteousness of Christ that makes us good. But here's the the problem. It's kind of like, you know, you cannot deny God's goodness and God's hand in life. And uh, one of the ways that we see people attempting to do that is we hear people often say, oh, there's karma, that's karma. Every single time you hear anybody say karma, that is a person who's refusing to give God glory, but they can't deny God's hand. You know what the Bible says? People reap what they sow. God says, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. Whatever a person sows, he will reap. So people who don't want to give God glory, but they cannot deny that principle, they say, oh, karma, karma, karma. Um, Another place we see that is in creation, right? I mean, God obviously created the world. You cannot deny um, seeing God in creation. But you hear people say, Mother Nature. Isn't Mother Nature amazing? And it's like atheists... People who deny God's existence say, Mother Nature. And it's because they can't deny God, they can't deny what they see, but they refuse to give God glory. And to take a principle that God gives about gratefulness and thankfulness, and to just remove it from the object of right thankfulness, which is a worship and a thankfulness to God, and to just go, hey, have the quality of thankfulness. Um, That so misses the mark, and we're going to see that because there's 10 people in our story. All 10 of them are grateful, but only one of them is rightly grateful. So we're going to dig into that, and we're going to see that this morning. Um, uh, You know where Thanksgiving comes from, right? Um, The pilgrims, right? That's our Thanksgiving holiday. Abraham Lincoln made it a holiday, but um, the first Thanksgiving, it happened after the pilgrims showed up. I want to tell you just a little bit about the the pilgrims. Um, Many of you probably know this, but we know most, by the way, uh, uh, from the the pilgrims and Thanksgiving and the Mayflower. We know most of what we know from one person who was there, and he kept a journal of what happened before they got on the Mayflower and what happened on the Mayflower and what happened after they landed. So a lot of what we get from history is the personal testimony of a person who was there. Now, the pilgrims were Puritans, and uh, they, they saw corruption in the Church of England. They wanted to get away from that, and they wanted to go to a place where they could have religious freedom. That was one of the things that drove them. And they were people who had a very high view of God's sovereignty, and they had this trust in who God was. Now, their first year was pretty radical. Um, they got delayed. They, they wanted to sail across the ocean in the summertime, when the weather would have been nice and they would have landed in the summer. And instead they got delayed and they end up traveling in these radical storms that just took such incredible tolls on them while they were on the ship. And then they finally land and the winter was so harsh. And and it's like they land, they're exhausted, they're beaten from being on the ship. And as soon as they pull into land, they got to try to start hurriedly building like somewhere to live and all these things. And it's like they were just, it was so radical. And there were 103 people on the ship. And in that first year, um, 50 of them, by the end of it, there was only 50 left. Like half of them died in the first year. And one of the things I think about is when is Thanksgiving? So it was their first year after that. So they've lost half the people that were there. They were, they were heart sore. They were full of grief. Uh, the people who had survived, some of them had lost some of their family members. Uh, there were whole families that had traveled where the whole family had died. And, and they're sitting down to thank God. <laughs> it's funny. Um, if you read about uh, Thanksgiving, if you're in school today, um, do you know who the pilgrims were thanking? They were thanking the Indians. 
And so uh, we, we've, we've removed from our education that the pilgrims were thanking God. And we just say, oh, yeah, the pilgrims thanked the Indians. And, um, but the pilgrims were thanking God. And uh, they're thanking God in November. Um, what is November? Man, they're about to hit another winter. The last winter killed half of them. And they sit down and they celebrate. They are thankful to be alive. They are thankful for each other. And I'm sure that they were also thankful for the Indians. Um, so there was a lot of thankfulness. But their thankfulness was pointed at God. You know, um, you guys have heard of Squanto, right? So Squanto actually that same year had gone through just a devastating thing. There was disease um, in his tribe, and 2,000 of his fellow Indians died of disease. In fact, he was the only one. He was the only one in his tribe that was left. So Squanto, sitting there, helping them, teaching them, was also somebody who had gone through incredible loss. He was the only one left. And so um, when we think about thankfulness... um, these, th- this Thanksgiving holiday really was founded on a thankfulness to God in the midst of sorrow and difficulty. And one of the things I was thinking about when I was looking at that, they should have just kept going <laughs> to Orange County <laughs> because uh, our winners are kind of nice. Something to be thankful for. If it's a terrible, terrible day, you got to put on a light jacket. But um, anyway, so... and. I'm thankful that I live in Orange County. So, um, hey, let's read a passage um, from Luke, and let's just think about who Jesus is and why all thankfulness should be directed to God Himself. Um, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. So, in Jesus' ministry, um, this is like His… Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and so He's heading to Jerusalem for the last time, and He's traveling around different parts of the country. He's doing these amazing miracles. Um, we'll, we'll look at some of the teaching at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, which is where this section starts. We'll look at a verse, but Jesus is traveling around. He is healing th- people. He's doing these amazing things, and this is a story about Jesus making Himself known that everyone will know who He is, uh, making that clear. And uh, this is what it says, on the way to Jerusalem, He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as He entered a village, He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when He saw them, He said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And uh, we're going to look at that, your faith has made you well. And uh, that feels like it's talking about his physical healing. But we're going to look at that. I'm going to show you a marginal note in your Bible. Um, That is Jesus talking about his spiritual health. Jesus is saying to him, your faith has saved you. So we'll come back and we'll look at that more. But all ten were healed physically. Only one was healed spiritually. You know, sometimes as we read stories in the Bible, um, the, the story is just reported, and we don't necessarily have an evaluation of every part of it. There are some stories that God just puts in there. This is one of those great stories because we hear the story, but then we actually get Jesus' insight into it. We get to know what God thinks about what happened here because Jesus expresses that. So when we have the right view of God, and when we look at our lives according to what is true, we will realize that God is always doing good. And that includes everything we're going through. The difficulties we face, 
And as believers, we should thank God for all the good things and the challenges, not just an indiscriminate attitude of thankfulness, not just being in a good mood because you got up and you woke up in a nice house or, or you got into a car that was nice or you got a raise at work, not just some indiscriminate um, feeling of well-being, but a very specific, purposeful thankfulness that is directed toward God and that actually inspires us to worship. Every good thing that we have should result in just an attitude of worship toward the Lord. So let's consider uh, the first thing here. Let's consider the fact that the fallen world provides a powerful backdrop for thanksgiving. Hey, our fallen world has problems, right? I mean, everywhere we look, there are things going wrong. And the more that goes wrong, and it doesn't matter what's going well in your life, we live in a sinful, fallen world. There is pain and difficulty and sorrow everywhere. And that provides a powerful backdrop for thankfulness. Um, On Jesus' final approach to Jerusalem, He's making Himself known, and that is that He's going to die and save the world. In Luke chapter 9, which is the beginning of this section, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You know, that's the thing I would say about thankfulness and the pursuit of people. Um, People want good things, right? And so they pursue these good things. They, they want things that will make them happy. They're materialistic. They're, they pursue, let's say kids are, kids are raised and just told, follow your heart, do whatever you really want. That is a terrible thing to tell people. Um, we have sinful hearts that are directed the wrong direction. And it's like people just pursue whatever they can. You know, people that pursue money, the, some of the richest people, it's like, what do you need? They got so much money, they just want more. And, and people pursue things that are ultimately empty. And what ultimately matters, and just an attitude of gratefulness. I'm thankful for many of the things that Dennis Prager would have to say, but I'll just tell you, at the end, they are empty and they are worthless. Because you can be grateful your whole life. You could have a life full of good things. But what difference does it make if when you die, you forfeit your own soul. That's what Jesus says here. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Our salvation and our standing before God is the most significant thing in life. And by the way, we need to teach our kids to think like that. We need to teach people that we're discipling to view life through that lens, to see God's goodness, but to pursue God not to pursue just the gifts. So Jesus is doing this. He's heading, he's traveling, and uh, he's healing people. And by the way, think about that. Um, Jesus is going throughout um, Israel, and he's running across people that are blind, like somebody that's been blind. That If you knew a blind person from the time they were a little kid, your neighbor, uh, you helped them you know, go get water when they were a kid growing up, and all of a sudden you bump into this guy you can see, and he tells you, Jesus healed me. Or you meet somebody who had a family member who died, and, the, and you hear the stories about how Jesus raised them from the dead. And people who are demon-possessed, Jesus is going everywhere. He is changing people's lives, and it's undeniable. And everywhere people go, they hear that. Think about that hope. Think about the, what would happen if we knew that there was a person in our town that wherever they went, they were healing people. Um, that's one of the things about all these supposed faith healers. All these people on TV claiming to do these things. What I would say is, why are the hospitals not empty? Because in Jesus' day, the hospitals were empty. He went into town, and when he left, everybody was healed. And this was a powerful testimony of who Jesus was. And that's one of the most amazing things, is that with Jesus doing all these miracles, having this powerful influence, they have religious leaders that still denied who he was. And so these 10 lepers, man, they got a serious problem in their life. They're lepers. And as he's entering this village, man, they know who he is. 
They are looking for him, and as soon as they see him, they start calling out for him. Look at verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Like, can you sense the desperation in their cries? If we knew what leprosy was, like if we had experienced that, um, leprosy was a terrible disease that when people got, it was contagious, and, um, and they, it completely isolated them from everyone. They, they had to live outside the city. They couldn't be around people. You couldn't touch them. They were totally isolated. Imagine that. A person in your family that could not be around you. They, they would live outside the city. You couldn't touch them. You could never hug them. Imagine being a person seeing people and never being able to touch anybody, never being able to be touched. Like, that would be just one of the most unbelievably difficult things. And and just the emotional isolation. And these 10 people are totally isolated. No hope, no healing. They're just separated. Leviticus talks about um, lepers, and it just says, the leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. So everywhere they go, they have to warn people, don't come around me because you might get this disease. And he shall be unclean as long as he has the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You know, um, what a terrible disease a person could have. Like this is like a life-ending type thing. And the, the, the physical things that would happen, um, we have something that we've, we say we think this is leprosy. It's called Hansen's disease. And it's, a, it's an infection caused by a slow-growing bacteria. And it can affect the nerves, the skin, the eyes, the lining of the nose. With early diagnosis and treatment, it can be cured. Uh, people with Hansen's disease continu- can continue to work and lead an active life after treatment. So we treat people today who have this, but you know, there's a lot of people in the, in the world that don't have that treatment, and they're, they are uh, just really devastated and have all kinds of problems. You know, that is the result of a fallen world. That's actually one of the things we learned from Genesis is that when God created Adam and Eve, there was no sin, there was no suffering, there was no sickness, nothing bad in life. Every single negative thing in this life comes from sin. And that is a consequence of of sin. And so um, that's actually God's intention for us, is that we think rightly and that we understand rightly that everything wrong in this world is a testimony that there is a sin problem in the world. Every time you see a natural disaster, you're reminded, if it wasn't for sin, there would be no natural disasters. Every time you see a sick person, you're reminded, sin is what has brought this into the world. Every time we see difficulties and relational problems, we're reminded, this is what sin does. Every time we look at a broken world, we see this is sin. And you know, all these things, all these bad things, they point us to actually the most significant problem with sin, and that is that it separates us from God. Now, some people think that all those kinds of things, anytime somebody's sick, that's because they did something wrong and God's punishing them. And there are examples of that in the Bible, right? <laughs> like, we think about leprosy, Miriam decides to speak against Moses. And what does God do? He gives her leprosy. He's like, he gives her this terrible disease. He's like, I picked a leader. You're going to speak against the leader I picked. You get leprosy. And uh, Moses and Aaron are just praying, God, please heal her. So God heals her. But you know, all sin and suffering isn't because somebody did something wrong. Uh, In Luke chapter 13, um, verse 1, it says, There was some present at that time. They talk about this natural disaster. There were some present at that very time who told um, Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them. So Pilate goes in and kills a whole bunch of people, and everybody comes to Jesus. They're telling him about it. And he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? 
No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know, some people think that anytime something bad happens to somebody, it's because they're a unique sinner and God's punishing them. What Jesus says is no. But every time you see suffering, every time you see sickness, every time you see a disaster, that should remind you that you have a sin problem between you and God that needs to be resolved. And if you don't repent, you will perish. God has given us a world that we look at, we see the physical consequences of sin, and they remind us that there are spiritual consequences to sin. You know, of course, you know, uh, sin can bring suffering. You know, there's people who drink so much that their kidneys fail. You know, there's natural consequences to sin. Sometimes there's unbelievers who rebel against God. You know, we saw an example of that with Herod in the New Testament, where he's giving himself glory and God causes him to be eaten by worms and die. It's not that God doesn't discipline people, but that's not always why there is sin and suffering. You know, God also brings good things from sin and suffering. You know, John chapter 9, we have a story of a blind man, and it says this um, in uh, John chapter 9 verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day and night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back. He could see. So Jesus heals this man, and he says, Hey, this is an occasion for God's glory. You know, sometimes um, you go through things and you struggle, and it is an occasion for God's glory. I think about the difference um, in the hospital of a person who's diagnosed with cancer who has no hope. They have no faith. And, and it's, I think about the nurses who, who day after day see people going through these terrible diseases, people who are not believers. And then a Christian comes in. And as they come into the hospital and they're given the exact same diagnosis or as people struggle with some of the exact same things, what's their attitude? How do they view it? How do they glorify God? How is that communicated? What is the difference when people see an unbeliever suffer versus a believer suffering, um, often difficulties are an opportunity to display God's glory. I think about um, the, the pastor that I served under at my last church uh, years and years ago when he was diagnosed with cancer and, and watching his, his wife had cancer and passed away, and then he got cancer and passed away. And when I saw what it means for a Christian, the way they think, the way he appreciated his thankfulness. I mean, he just told me, he's like, Roger, cancer is the best way to go. And he started explaining to me all the ways that God was good to him in how that was working its way out. And I just think, okay, what a testimony, an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. And so one of the things that we see is that a sinful world is a powerful backdrop for thanksgiving. The problems in your life are a powerful backdrop for thanksgiving. Second thing that we're going to see here is that God should be the object of all thanksgiving. Think about James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is good Every good thing comes from Him, and God never changes. Look at verse 14. This is how Jesus responds. When He saw them, He said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, <laughs> they were cleansed. I mean, this is like this little short verse. But what a powerful thing happened. These guys are standing off, calling out, Please have mercy. 
And one of the things is, you know, Jesus is showing people that he's God, that he's the Savior. But as he does that, he's just being good. He's doing good things. He's blessing everybody he passes. And so he just tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. Think about that power in Jesus' words. The same power, <laughs> and there are people who, when they read through the Bible and they read miracles and stuff like that, they're like, ah, oh, how could that happen? And all this, they, they struggle. And I just think God created the world out of nothing by speaking it into existence. It's not hard for him to say to these lepers, Go to the priest and be healed. Like, this is not a hard thing. But Jesus just says it. And one of the things that stands out to me is he's telling them to go show themselves to the priest. So there's a few things about that. First, you just see the power in his words. The second thing is, for a leper to be declared clean, they had to go to the priest. Jesus is actually following Old Testament law. But he's doing something else. Um, the religious leaders are supposed to be the people who are waiting to see Jesus, that are pointing everybody to Jesus. Like, that's a job of a religious leader. But the religious leaders in his day hated Jesus, and they're actually going to kill him. And so Jesus, as he goes through town, he's sending people. Remember the blind guy that Jesus healed? Yeah. It's like everybody's talking about this blind guy being healed, and the Pharisees are like, what happened to you? They come to him, and, and they say, what happened to you? And, and he's like, uh, yeah, Jesus healed me. And, and, and they start saying, hey, he's a sinner. He's a bad person. And, and he's just like, well, nobody does these kinds of things unless they're from God. Right. And so these Pharisees, that, like they hate him. They get his parents. Uh, was he really blind? Did he really get healed? And his parents are so afraid of the hatred and punishment of the religious leaders that they say he's an adult ask him um, because if they confess that Jesus healed him um, then they would be thrown out of the synagogue so this man actually says no Jesus did heal me and they throw him out of the synagogue and then Jesus comes and finds him after he can see and this guy couldn't see and uh, when, when, this, when this blind man meets Jesus he's like yeah, he, uh, Jesus is talking to him. He's like, yeah, show me who Jesus is. Show, I don't know who he is. And Jesus says, it's me. And this guy worships Jesus. And so um, you see that these priests, they, as Jesus is going around healing all these lepers, all the priests have to inspect these people that were lepers, and now they're healed. And so on this day, you get 10 people showing up. Well, nine, but 10 people showing up for the priests to be inspected. And these priests that want to deny Jesus have to inspect these people that he's healed. You know, isn't it amazing? There's a lot of people who think if you give people enough evidence, they'll get saved. You know what? Evidence doesn't save people. People's hearts are so hard, so rebellious, they can suppress any amount of evidence, which is what the religious leaders did in Jesus' day. You know, I think about God's incredible goodness. As it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. So Jesus doesn't just say, you're healed. He says, go show yourself to the priest. So there's an element of faith that all of these people are demonstrating because when he says, go show yourself to the priest, they're not healed until they get up and start walking toward the priest. As soon as they get up and start walking, all of a sudden they are cleansed. Like, I wonder what that would have been like. You know, you're in a group of 10 people that are lepers and they stink and there's all kinds of things wrong with their, their skin. And just as they walk, all of a sudden they're, they're healed and they start seeing this. Man, how exciting that would have been. And we're going to find out that one of them, when he sees it, he runs back to go talk to Jesus. But one of the things I want to just say is that, you know, God is good to the entire world. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God is doing good to people who don't appreciate him, who don't see him. Um, God is just pouring out his goodness. In fact, Luke um, chapter 35 says, but love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, 
as your heavenly Father is merciful. You know, isn't that crazy how good God is? Provided a way of salvation. You ever known unbelievers that are going through really hard times and a Christian friend maybe brings a prayer request to the church and everybody's praying for these non-Christians and God reaches into their life and He answers prayer and He blesses them. You ever see unbelievers that hate God and they shake their fist in God's face, but their businesses go well and they're very successful and they have lots of good things? See, that's what God says, that He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes the rain to water the fields of the evil and the good. And God is kind to people who hate Him. And when you have 10 people, 10 lepers, God didn't just say, I'm going to heal the one who has the right attitude toward me. He heals them all. And then they're so enamored and so happy about what God did, they don't even think about Him. You know, I think about John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You know, I think about how empty earthly good things are. I think about these lepers. Um, We're going to see that God has cleansed them. But you know, nine of them are going to get sick and die again. In fact, all ten of them are. So yeah, they're healed of leprosy. They go back to a normal life. They give their family members a hug. I mean, think about those good things. But one day they're going to die and they're going to stand before a holy God and He's going to cast them into the lake of fire. You know, right before this story is Luke chapter 16 where Jesus tells a story about a man who dies and goes to um, goes to Hades, and, and, and it just talks about him being in agony and saying, please send somebody back to warn my family members. And God says to him, they have the Bible, and if they don't listen to that, they wouldn't listen even if somebody came back from the dead. So that's what happens. That's a story Jesus tells right before this chapter. And when you think about um, Jesus talking about people that are wealthy and that are rich and they have all the stuff, and uh, one guy was so rich, Jesus tells a story, just builds bigger barns. He's got, I got, I got so much stuff. I got, I'm so wealthy. I just need to make a bigger place to put my wealth. And then Jesus in the story says, you fool, because tonight your life is going to end. Now what's going to happen with all your stuff? And there are so many people that are so happy about all their stuff. And when they die, they are going to stand before a holy God, and they're not going to actually have the help that they need most. And that is Jesus, righteousness applied to them. I think about Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then the third thing that we're going to see here is that a regenerated heart rightly responds with thanksgiving. You should rightly respond with thanksgiving in your life. Not just a general sense of, I'm in a good mood. This is awesome. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having a good, being in a good mood. Um, I, I couldn't sleep a few nights ago, and I just, I woke up, I think it was like, it's like probably four o'clock in the morning, and I just couldn't sleep, and I thought, I'm just going to get up. And so I got up, and I walked into my living room, and my house was really quiet, and had this big glass door I could see out into my backyard, and I was just thinking, oh man, this just feels so good. I love living here. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying and thinking about the good things in your life, but that should automatically go to, God, you are so good. Why have, you know, I just, I'm so thankful that you've done this. I don't deserve this, but you've given me this. And we're not just in a good mood over the good things in our life. We are thankful to God for what He has done, and we recognize we don't deserve it. And that is the right response of a regenerated heart. It says this, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, so they're all heading over to the priests. When this guy sees that he's healed, he turned back. He turns around. He realizes, Jesus, you healed me. And he's overwhelmed with thankfulness, not just general thankfulness for the way his life has changed, but thankfulness to Jesus. And he goes back and says he turns back, praising God with a loud voice. He's praising God. 
God's, God, look what God did for me. God healed me. This is a miracle. And his, he's not just glad he's healed. He's thankful to God that he's healed and he's praising God. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. It just says, now he was a Samaritan. Now, uh, we know that the Jews don't like Samaritans. The Jews were God's chosen people. Samaritans were mixed with Gentiles, and so they're like, you're half Jew, so you're not a Jew. And they were rejected. They were social outcasts. And one of the things that you see is as Jesus is going around, the people who should have recognized him didn't, and the people that maybe you wouldn't have expected to recognize him did. By the way, a testimony that Jesus did come for the Jews. They are his chosen people, but Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. Jesus came for the whole world. He came for everybody. And we see that throughout his ministry, he is blessing Canaanites and he's blessing Samaritans. I mean, Jesus is there and he's loving everybody. Have you ever thought about why did the, the nine not return and thank Jesus? You know, they're probably just so excited about how their life was changed. Like, they probably were thinking about their parents. They're probably thinking about their family members, probably thinking about how their life was going to change. And, and they, couldn't, they, they just couldn't wait to get to the, the priest and be declared clean so they could go get back to life. And all of a sudden, the good thing that God gave them actually became a distraction from the one who was actually just expressing love and care for them. Let me just ask you, does that ever happen to you? Uh, do you ever get good things and you're so enamored with the good things in your life that you don't have thoughts of God? So I was thinking about that uh, many years ago. I love dirt bikes. And I remember being at church and I was working on some stuff, but I had just got this new dirt bike. And I was so excited about my new dirt bike. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to work and I just couldn't stop thinking about how fun it would be to ride my dirt bike. So I actually just took the rest of the day off. I went home, I got my bike and I just went and rode it. And I was just thinking, like my mind was so occupied with this thing I had. And, and, and of course, I was thanking God for that thing and I wanted to enjoy the good gift He gave me. No, actually, on my way home, one of the things that I thought about was, am I loving this item too much? And, and is it a distraction from God? Or is it something that's causing me to worship God? Hey, that kind of stuff can happen to us sometimes, right? But a regenerated heart rightly responds. Let's look at Jesus' evaluation. So in this story, if we just heard this story, it, it might be hard to come back and evaluate and say those people actually didn't thank God. They were thankful, I'm sure, but they didn't thank God. There was only one that thanked God. Well, there could have been a lot of reasons for that. Maybe as they were going, they got arrested, and, and maybe there was some other reason why they didn't come. But Jesus actually tells us why they didn't come. Look what it says here. Um, by the way, rightly placed thanksgiving transcends everything in this life. Now, Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? So Jesus says, where are the nine people who should have thanked me and who didn't? Was no one found to return and give God praise? I'm sure these nine people were praising, but they weren't praising God. Except this foreigner. That foreigner is unique. And he said to him, rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. So if you look at uh, the Legacy Standard Bible, it says, He said to him, stand, stand up, and go. Your faith has saved you. If you have an ESV, and you're looking at that ESV, um, right there at the end where it says, has made you well. Remember how I told you people shouldn't say, I know it says this in English, but in Greek it really says, remember I told you that. I actually did read this in Greek, and it actually did use the word for save. But I just want you to know how your Bibles work. Do you see that little tiny number seven yeah. next to the end of the sentence? If you tap on that 97, if you have a cell phone, or if you have your Bible, and there's a little number seven, and you have something called marginal notes, go down and look into the marginal notes, because it tells you another way that this could be translated. And it says, or 
In the, in the ESV, it says, rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But if you look at the marginal note for that number seven, it says, uh, your faith has saved you or has saved you. Do you see that in your notes? So that's one of the great things about the Bible and Greek translators is, is often these things that you might not have access to. If you didn't study Greek, they put them in marginal notes for you. So this is just saying that your faith has saved you. Jesus is looking at this man and he's saying, you weren't just healed, you were saved. And that is like a mark, by the way, of regeneration. Unbelievers, one of the defining characteristics of an unbeliever is they don't give God thanks. That's what Romans um, chapter 1, verse 18 through 22 says. God's wrath is poured out on mankind because they see God's nature is divine power. They suppress that truth. They refuse to give thanks, which is why people say karma. If you say that, um, I please, if you say that around me, it's fine. I understand how we can do that. But you shouldn't say karma. And you should also never say mother nature. We should be people that are thankful and that recognize God and that give Him glory, even though we, work at, we live in a world that suppresses that. And the, and the right thing for, for Christians is to be thankful. And that thankfulness transcends any good thing that could ever happen in this life. You know, that's actually the thing. Um, the thing that God uses to save people, you want to know what the miracle God does in a person's heart? What's the difference between a person who sees and knows the truth, suppresses it, and hates God, and a person who, when they see the truth, they respond to it? See, it's, it could be the same facts. I think about myself as an unbeliever. I heard all the facts of the gospel. I actually believed them all. Like, I knew they were all true. But I wasn't willing to become a Christian. And um, when I became a Christian, it was amazing. God did this miracle in my heart. Like when it says in Acts chapter 14, 16, or 16, 14, I always forget how that reference goes. It says that God opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel. Um, God did a miracle in my life when I was 18, well, 17 years old, sitting on my high school campus, thinking about life, thinking about all the things that I had learned in Sunday school, all the things that I learned in church. And as I thought about that, I just thought, my whole life, I thought, what a nightmare that God would be in control of my life. That would be terrible. God would make me a missionary, make me a pastor. He's going to do something to just wreck my life and make me miserable. And I just, when I thought about Jesus, I just thought, yeah, he died for my sins, but I just actually, the things in this world are just so much more attractive to me. I want stuff. I want gifts. I don't want the one who gives the gifts. I want the gifts. And all of a sudden, as I sat there, my perspective on all the facts changed. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? God made me. He loves me. He knows how to live life better than me. Look at the mess that I'm making of my life. And actually, I decided at that point that I don't want what I want. I actually want what God wants. And that was the moment that I became a Christian. This is how Peter describes that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who calls us to His own glory and excellence. And the word to can be tra also translated by His own glory and excellence. Same facts. One person looks at it and hates it. Another person looks at it and says, I want that. Look at God's glory. Look at His excellence. I want Jesus. This man was healed. And he was happy about being healed, but he was like, I want Jesus. And that is what makes the difference. When you share the gospel with somebody and they suppress it, or you share the gospel with somebody and they hear it and they say, I want Jesus, is the miracle that God does to make us want Him instead of wanting to suppress that. So that naturally flows. And um, how many of you guys have uh, heard of Psalm 23? I want to tell you about God's goodness and mercy. And this is something you should think about in your life, and we're going to close with this. I want you to think about God's goodness and mercy when you are a child of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, 
that everything works together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. You know, the good things you get are temporary. But, the, but God is not temporary. And in fact, in Psalm 23, verse 6, I love it. It says, surely goodness and mercy, God's goodness and God's mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Now, the word that's used for follow you is this word in Hebrew. It's, you pronounce it radath. And I always remembered the definition of the word. It's to pursue. It's like somebody who's going right after you. It sounds like radath. I made all those like mnemonic things to help me remember verses or remember vocabulary. But this is the word for pursue. Like when somebody was trying to pursue somebody and kill them and hunt them down, that's the word that's used. God's goodness and God's mercy is going to pursue you. It's going after you. God is always doing good in your life. When good things happen to you, it's because God's doing good. When you don't see the good things and it seems like everything bad is happening, no, God is doing good. And we'll see that in Genesis when Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt and God's blessing him is going to end up being the uh, second highest ruler in Egypt. And the brothers who are wicked and evil and they're selling him into slavery, their act of sin is going to be the thing that provides for them so they don't starve during a famine. So no matter what's going wrong, God is pers- His goodness and His mercy pursues you. And your hope, the good things in your life, are not because of what you have. It's because you're a child of God in a relationship with God and because God is good and His goodness is going to go after you. And so um, that's an encouraging thing. And so it's one thing to be thankful for good fortune. That's um- empty. It's fading. It's temporary. It is another thing to recognize a holy, all-powerful, loving, heavenly Father. That is never empty. His goodness is eternal. It never fades away. And, and the gift of God Himself transcends everything in this life. And it's my prayer that you're going to have a wonderful Thanksgiving, that you'll eat lots of turkey, and that that tryptophan will start to work on you, and then Cindy will get to take a nap later that afternoon. And uh, that you'll have lots of turkey, lots of ham, lots of good times with your family. And that you will have an abiding sense of God's goodness, that no matter what good thing is happening, that your heart just goes uh, directly to the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for giving us your word. I thank you for just this incredible miracle for your goodness. You didn't only display your goodness to the one who recognized you and who thanked you and who was saved. Lord, you are good to everyone. And yet those nine people missed out on the thing that they needed most. I pray that we would be people that in our life that we don't miss out on a relationship with you. We don't miss out on the forgiveness of sin. That we wouldn't just have your general goodness in this life and then face your wrath in eternity. Lord, that we would have your, your general goodness and your specific goodness in this life, but that we would have your goodness for all eternity. Through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness that we have through him. Lord, help each of us to know you and to walk faithfully with you in your name. Amen.